I've said before um, that 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 little chorus, "I love you, Lord," uh, just it just means so much to me. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons, is because we live in a, a world today that um, is just so vicious. And um, so much of what comes out of people's mouths is just is hurtful and it's, it's not music to God's ears. <laughs> but when we have the opportunity to, to be together like this and we're lifting our voices to the Lord in worship, it's music to his ears. It's, it's beautiful. And... Um, I just love to be a part of it. I just love to be a part of it. It's it's so sweet. It's um, it's what we should be doing with our mouths, uh, along with edifying each other and lifting one another up. Amen. Amen. I love uh, the message of the songs that we've been singing this morning. It, you know, one of the things that um, that kind of just jumped out at me was just, you know, how I have nothing else fit for a king <laughs> except for my hallelujah. And uh, and it's so true, really. It's it's so true. We we could give God a lot of things, but when He sees a, a heart that is truly worshiping Him and adoring Him and loving Him, there's nothing greater. That we can give him, and uh, and I love that. And so, as we begin to go into this time of communion, we're thinking about the things that God has done for us. We're thinking about what the Lord did for us on the cross. and And I wanted to read this scripture to you. This isn't maybe a typical scripture to read at a time of communion, but it's a scripture that came to my heart this morning uh, as I was getting ready uh, for the communion part of our service. And it's from Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 5. It says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And that scripture came to my mind this morning because I just think about how uh, the Lord Jesus, the God the Son, also God of, of all creation, um, humbled himself. He put on, he put on human flesh, and it wasn't just so that he could live this life with us and experience the same things that we experience and and understand and be a, that that wonderful and true advocate that he is for us. But he put on that human flesh so that he could go to the cross. He put on that human flesh so that. His body could be broken for us, and his blood could be shed for us. And so the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, it's, it's such a great and lofty call for us, isn't it? Because he gave everything for our salvation, our forgiveness. And so when we have this opportunity um, once a month, to partake of communion and we're taking of the, the bread and we're taking of the cup and we're, we're partaking of these elements, we're remembering the dearest, the dearest thing that ever happened in the history of mankind. God the Son paying our price so that we could be forgiven of our sins, redeemed, set free, and live with him forever. 
nothing greater than that. And so I would ask if you could take out the cup and, and, and the bread and just uh, uh, prepare yourself to partake of these elements this morning. Um, I'm going to just read just a, a few verses from Matthew uh, chapter 26 that would just kind of lead us through this and um, just tear that, that top portion off and, um, and have that piece of, of bread, that wafer. As we read these words, Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke these words. And he's speaking them to us this morning as we remember, as we remember him, as we partake of this and remember him and declare his death until he comes again. He said in Matthew 26, it says in verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it, this is my body. Let's take and eat it and remember his body. Verse 27, it says, then he took a cup, and let's, let's take our cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's partake together. Lord Jesus, as we have partaken of these elements this morning and we're remembering you and we're remembering the great sacrifice that you paid for our sins, Lord, our hearts rejoice in the love that you showed us and the love that you gave us and the, the way that you demonstrated that love on that cruel, that cruel rugged cross. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed so that we could be forgiven of our sins and redeemed and made new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done in our hearts and our lives. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to remember you. Such a glorious opportunity. And an opportunity, Lord, that we never want to forsake, but always, always remember. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I stopped, I stopped there at, uh, at Philippians uh, as I was reading chapter 2 there, and I stopped after verse 8, but verse 9 uh, 10 and 11 says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. You know, I, I love to uh, make sure that that we realize that uh, when Jesus took his last breath, on that cross and died for our sins. That, that wasn't the end, that was the beginning. And uh, looking forward so much to uh, the next couple weeks in which we'll be talking about that. The hope of the resurrection. Uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus brings us so much hope. It is our hope. Amen? It is our hope. And so looking forward to that. Um, Today, really want to just kind of concentrate on the cross um, and really focus and talk about the cross. Uh, I think it goes well with uh, communion time, a, a service in which we're doing communion. Uh, but I also want to be able to talk about the cross because 
uh, once we get to Easter, I want to be able to talk about the resurrection. <laughs> and so, um, so kind of, you know, you can't talk about the, the resurrection until you talk about what Jesus went through for us. And so I want to talk about that today. And then really uh, with the Palm Sunday and the kids and the, and the palm leaves and, and whatever's prepared, I, I'm excited about it. Um, uh, looking forward to talking about Jesus' triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem and what that means for us and, and what it really kind of symbolized for us. And so uh, just really excited about the next couple weeks, and I hope you are too. Um, invite friends. Tell them how great it's going to be because... Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus. Nothing's greater than that. All right? Amen. Amen. So, like I said, today is, is about the cross. Um, and, and we know that the scriptures proclaim that, that, uh, that God is gracious. Correct? Right? Uh, do you believe it? Yes? Amen. Uh, we know the scriptures paint a clear picture of who God is and how much he loves us. Uh, we've been talking about that already. And, and, and as we become aware of our sin, as we become aware of our sin, uh, we need the truth about God's grace. We need the truth about God's love so that we can handle our sin appropriately. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, I'll get to what I mean by that. But we need to see the God of the scriptures who is so gracious to us that it, that it blows our mind. That it, it, it blows our mind and it makes us just, uh, it amazes us. And, and it brings us to, a, um, to remorse and repentance because we believe that the grace that we have been given is not something that we can work into. It's not something that we can uh, earn, but it is something that had a very, very dear price. It was bought at a high price, which was the price of the life of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, now here's an obstacle that we have to deal with. Part of how we view God's grace is often uh, defined by our experiences with each other. Um, we really have no other way of, of really experiencing uh, grace apart from God than our relationships with one another. And so that's a little bit of an obstacle because uh, sometimes we have a tendency or at least a temptation to not forgive. Sometimes we have a, a temptation or a tendency to hold a grudge or to, uh, to, to hold something against somebody because we feel like if, we're, if we don't hold it against them, we're letting them off the hook, right? Uh, another part of what makes uh, the, the experiences that we have not so great of an example of our experience with God is when we are actually um, prone to forgive somebody and show someone grace, uh, we actually uh, are, are doing that in a way that... Uh, we, we're, we're giving grace because we realize, at least in part, that we need grace to be given to us, right? So we become grace givers because we know that we need grace as well. And so I'm, uh, I'm going to extend grace to somebody because I know that in some, at some point in my life, maybe, maybe just yesterday... <laughs> I, I was in need of the same forgiveness or the same grace. Uh, have you ever experienced this, that, that somebody did something to you and, uh, and you were at first tempted to, to not be forgiving or not be gracious, and then you realized that you actually were guilty of the same thing? Maybe, maybe to that person or maybe to someone else or maybe that day or maybe the day before or, or a week before or a month before. But, but you realize that we are gracious because we know that we need grace as well. Makes sense, doesn't it? Also, uh, the, the other thing about it is, and, 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 um, and what's interesting about it is, um, we forgive people 
also, and we extend grace to people also, because we really don't know how much bad they've done. <laughs> Ever thought about that? So we are enabled to give grace to somebody or to forgive somebody because we really don't have a clue really how rotten that person has been throughout their life. Now, I can say that because uh, of personal experience. I know that no one on the face of this earth, even my wife, who knows me really, really, really well, but I know that even my wife doesn't know every single bad thing that I've done in my life. Hallelujah. Right? And aren't we glad about that? We, we, we most likely are, are pretty glad about that. And, and so the thing about it is we begin to understand that when we're gracious to somebody, we're gracious to them in part because we have no clue how rotten they've been. Right? So, so since you have no idea uh, all that person has done wrong, you're more willing to forgive and show grace. But if you knew it all, if you knew it all, you might just be tempted to say, man, I can't forgive you. You've, you've been rotten. Until maybe you, when you look in the mirror and realize that you've been pretty rotten as well. I'm sure there are more human motivations for showing grace, but from just these three things that I've mentioned alone, we discover two factors, at least two factors, uh, that play an enormous part in our ability to forgive each other, our own sin, and our own ignorance of other people's sin. As I began to process this, I was blown away. And the reason that I was blown away is because when I think of God, I realize that God is neither motivated by his own sinfulness, because God's perfect, right? God is perfect in every way. We sing a song that says that. We, God has never sinned. He's never done anything wrong. He's, he's, he's perfectly sinless. And so God is neither motivated by his own sinfulness, okay, nor is he uh, enabled by his own ignorance of all that we've done. So, so we experience forgiveness and grace from people, as we should. But when we experience it from God, it's a whole other level. It's, it's on a whole other level. And so uh, God is, is holy and righteous, completely void of sin and full of goodness and love. He never made a mistake and can do anything but fail. He is perfect in all of his ways. There is no moral compass that could measure how upright and blameless God is. Yet when I sinned, God didn't look at me in disgust. He, God, perfect in all of his ways, not at all motivated by his own failings, but entirely motivated by his love for me, actually looked at me with compassion and grace and love and led me to repentance and a forgiveness that restored me and blessed me. <laughs> and that just blows me away. That just blows my mind that God would, would do that for me. The other thing is, He's not ignorant of all the ways that we've sinned. And so I know that he's not ignorant of all the ways that I've sinned. He knows everything that we've ever done. He knows all the little white lies. Why do we call them that? Right? I don't know. A lie's a lie, right? Little white or big. I, you know, the, he knows all of that. He knows everything. Uh, he, know, he hears our thoughts when we dare not speak what we're thinking. Praise the Lord. He hears our, 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 our thoughts and he sees our, he sees our motives. Okay, so, so even when we do good things, God knows whether we did it for the right reason. 
Everybody around us might think, wow, look at them. They're really, they're just full of good works. They're, they do, they're always doing good things. They're always thinking about others. And God's like, yeah, well, we, I know why. I know why they're doing that. He's aware of our angry outbursts when we lose our tempers and fly off the handle. I, I, used, to, I used to have a really terrible temper. When I was a kid, my mom and dad always used to tell me, that temper is going to get you in trouble one of these days. Yeah, maybe some of you can identify. And uh, I remember clear to the point where I was dating Barbie. I, I still had this temper, you know, and um, and I remember we were uh, fighting about something. We 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 got in a little argument, and I I was mad, and I was sitting, and we were sitting in the car, and I just pow! I hit the windshield of the car and busted it, and my dad's words rang in my ear. That temper's going to get you in trouble one of these days. Yeah, it cost me a couple hundred bucks. See, God knows everything. You didn't know that until I just told you, but God knew about it. Barbie knew about it. She knew about that one. Mom and dad didn't know right away. <laughs> but you see... God knows it all. He sees it all. He, he, see, he has seen everything that we've done in secret. But check this out. His knowledge of who we really are will never hinder his love for us. God's grace is mind-blowing. Every time I think of this reality, I'm amazed because I serve a God whose love and grace overwhelms me. Whose love and grace is there to cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> and throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, the message of God's grace is proclaimed. And this is so true. When we begin to look at the Bible in its entirety, from Genesis to Revelation, front to back, we see that God's grace is woven throughout all of the, 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 the entire scriptures. It's woven throughout the history of the Old Testament. It's woven throughout the poetry of the Old Testament. It's woven throughout the prophecies in the Old Testament. It's woven throughout the Gospels of the New Testament. It's woven throughout the letters of the New Testament. It's woven throughout all of the Bible. God's grace is just woven throughout the entire Bible. And there's the scripture, and it says, basically it says, and it's kind of a little bit of a paraphrase, but it says, our God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And you say, that sounds like one of those good New Testament scriptures. I want to tell you, that is from the book of Exodus. That is from the book of Exodus. And what's interesting is, that's from the 34th chapter of Exodus. You know what happened a couple chapters before that? Well, Moses was up on the mountain getting the commandments. <laughs> and what were the Israelites doing? Yeah, they, they, were, they were partying. They were partying and they had fashioned an idol with their own hands. They had fashioned an idol with, can you imagine this? This is crazy. It's crazy. They had fashioned an idol with their own hands. And then after they fashioned this idol with their own hands, they were bowing down to it. And they were proclaiming that that idol was what brought them out of Egypt. Now, can you imagine what you would have done if you were God? I know what I, yeah, Ruby's got it. I know what I would have done. Shit, Ruby said, Pshaw. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, it amazes me the, the mercy 
the graciousness, the steadfast love, the, the ability, not the ability, well, the ability, but also the, the willingness to forgive iniquity and sin. And, and this is just two chapters later that this description of God takes place. And I want to tell you, it is amazing when we look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, the message of God's grace is proclaimed over and over and over again. This grace is distinct to the Christian faith. No other religion emphasizes divine grace the way the Bible does. And so the whole Bible, the entirety of Scripture, points to the love and grace of God until it comes to this crescendo, until it comes to this climax. Okay? And so from Genesis to, uh, you know, up through the Bible, it's just weaving, this grace message is just weaving its way through Scripture. It's in the stories of the Israelites. It's in the stories of all these things that we read about, and it's, it's so exciting. It's in the stories, in the, and, and it's in the Scriptures in Psalm uh, as, as David is, uh, is repenting and he's, and he's uh, pouring his heart out to God in Psalm 51. And it's just woven throughout. And when we get to the Gospels and we start reading about Jesus and we read about the life of Jesus and how gracious he is and everything, and it comes to this crescendo, this climax, this moment in time that God had planned from the beginning. It was God's plan to redeem us. It was God's plan to forgive us. It was God's plan to make us new. It was God's way of bringing us back to him and extending his love and his grace beyond our sinfulness. And that crescendo, that climax, is when Jesus stretched out his hands. He stretched out his hands. And I've, I've thought about that. I've thought about that, that moment in time that he was actually being nailed to the cross. And, and I know that, you know, just, just from some reading, some commentary, and, and, and just really kind of dwelling on it myself and thinking about it like through and through. That when they would crucify a criminal, they would take their hand and they would, they would stretch that hand out. And they'd have to hold it there. Because that criminal wasn't going to keep his hand there on his own volition. His natural tendency would be to, to bring it back. But do you know that when they, when they started to pull Jesus' hand out, stretch his hand out that he he extended it out for him see this was this was a choice that Jesus made and and, and I believe that he that he embraced those nails I believe that he embraced those nails for us and so it comes this climax when Jesus stretches out his hands and embraces those nails into the cross, hammered through his hands into that beam, that wooden beam. And I have some scriptures for you this morning from Luke chapter 23. Just um, some description of what's going on in that moment in time, that what I believe is really the, the climax of, of, of time. <laughs> From the, the moment in time that God created the earth to this moment that Jesus is embracing the cross, I believe this is, this is really the climax of, of time itself. You know, this is, this is what God's plan is all about. And so from Luke 23, uh, starting at verse 23, it says, but they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices, and we're picking up at the point where uh, he's standing there on trial, and he's standing with Barabbas, and, the, and Pilate is, is wondering who they want released. 
Jesus or Barabbas, okay? But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released the one they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon a Cyrenian who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. Uh, Dropping down, just dropping down just a few verses to verse 32. It says, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Then just dropping down a little further into verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. And then we jump over to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And we're just given a, an understanding of, of how this is a, a free gift. This is a grace. This is given to us by God, not earned. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And then there's some great scripture in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, from Romans chapter, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, starting in verse 20, going through 26. For no one will be justified in, uh, in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we could go to scripture after scripture after scripture talking about this same thing. The grace of God. The grace, the amazing, fabulous, wonderful grace of God. This all-encompassing love of God that covers us. Fully aware that Jesus didn't have to forgive me because he was just as bad and he needed forgiveness as well. No, no, he was absolutely perfect. So he knew that. He understood that. He was also fully aware of every bad thing I've ever done, knowing how much darkness was in my heart. And yet he did it because he had this amazing, untainted, unadulterated love in his heart for me. And so Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. And so the cross is an emblem. It's an emblem. Have you ever, have you ever thought about this? Uh, the cross was a device used to execute. It was a device used to execute. It became an instrument. Uh, as, as they used it over time, it became this instrument that was feared. And it was this device that was made to execute. God actually turned it into an instrument to express his love for us. This is why uh, now we find ourselves having 
crosses displayed in places of worship. Now, back in the time of, of Jesus, when Jesus lived, <laughs> it would have been laughable to put a cross in a place of worship. That would have been crazy. It would have been crazy for someone to wear it on a chain around their neck. Because it would have been similar to the idea of wearing like an electric chair. Seriously. It would have been like displaying an electric chair in a place of worship or wearing an electric chair around your neck. We say, that's crazy. No one would ever do that. Well, that's how they felt about the cross in that time. You see, the Romans meant for it to be cruel punishment that would prolong someone's death sentence. It was designed to inflict pain and suffering. It produced shame and humiliation. The cross was feared by the known world at the time of Jesus. It was renowned for all the wrong reasons. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. It was created to make sure people would fear authorities and, and follow authority and, and, and not do anything wrong. Nothing about the cross was glorious. In fact, in the first century, it would have been laughable to display a cross. It was ugly. It was dreadful. And listen, those who hung on a cross and died on a cross were looked at with scorn and shame and contempt. But here's God's grace. God took such a device <laughs> and made it into something beautiful. Isn't that amazing? And today, when we walk through the doors of a sanctuary and we see a cross displayed, it's meaningful to us. It, it means that God loves us. It actually now is an emblem of love and grace. The, the Romans meant for it to be an emblem of execution and pain and suffering. And now it is actually an emblem of love and grace. Now, Mankind couldn't have made it that way. God made it that way. God turned it into an emblem of love and grace. When Jesus hung on the cross, the grace of God came into focus. And we see Jesus hanging there. And, and first of all, we know that he was perfectly innocent. We see Jesus hanging there and we know that he didn't have to. He didn't have to. We see him battling in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So first of all, we know that he had a choice. Uh, he wouldn't have been battling in prayer the way that we read in the Scriptures had he not had a choice. But he had a choice to make. The Father wasn't making him do this. He had a choice to make, and so he was in the Garden, he was praying, and as the Scriptures say, his sweat became tinged with blood... That is an actual physical thing that can happen if you have that much stress. And his sweat became tinged with blood. The, the weight of the world and the sins of the world were already being placed on his shoulders. And he had this choice to make. And he's there in the garden and he makes this choice. And his choice is to love you. His choice is to love you, to extend this grace to you, to extend this forgiveness to you. And so as he's on trial, as he's hanging on the cross, again, he still is having a choice. He, uh, we know that in, in those points that he could have called all those angels to help him. And it's all significant because it speaks to the truth that Jesus chose to pay the price for people that he knew were not worthy of his gift of love. But that's grace, isn't it? That is, that is true, untainted, unadulterated love and grace. We see Jesus hanging there and, and utter those words that ring in our ears when we want to hold a grudge. Right? I mean, when we really want to hold a grudge, when someone's done something to us that, that hurt us or that, you know, just really upset us or ticked us off or maybe they... Maybe they did something even worse. Maybe they hurt our family. Because for me, for me, this is just for me. If you hurt me, I can get over it. But if you hurt my family, that's another story. 
That's harder. And so, you know, we get to that point where someone has done something to us and it's really hard to think about, even think about forgiving them. And yet, when Jesus is on the cross, these words just keep ringing true. And these, these words keep ringing in our ear. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And it's like, okay, I guess I have to forgive too. Because he's, he's showing us this untainted, unadulterated love and grace. And it's, it's incredible. And, and so we're, we're see, we see him as we, as we think about Jesus on the cross, which we've, which we've done this morning uh, with the communion time. We see him struggling for every breath. Um, we know that if, if, you, if you don't know, uh, that actually what ended up uh, killing people on the cross was suffocation. Okay, we would think that it's because of the nails and the bleeding. Uh, is actually suffocation because they can, with their hands out like this and their weight, they can't breathe. And so to breathe, they have to like push themselves up to get a breath. And so... So we know that, that as he's hanging there, he's struggling for every breath. We see him bleeding out. We see him hanging there in shame. We see him agonizing, and we don't look at him. We don't look at Jesus with scorn. We don't look at Jesus with contempt. Now that would have been what people did in that day for those who were hanging on a cross. For anyone who was hanging on a cross and dying in that manner, people would have looked at them and looked at them with scorn and contempt. But when we think of Jesus on the cross, we're not thinking that in any way, shape, or form. We're looking at Jesus and understanding that he's hanging there because he chose to hang there because he loves us so much. And it's and it's incredible. We see that even though he knew how bad we are, even though he knew how bad we are, he chose to hang there anyway. Because he loves us that much. What this does, what this does is it like takes all of our excuses away. It takes all of our excuses away. And, and what I mean by that is um, maybe you've heard someone say, and I think I've said this here before, but maybe you've heard someone say, if I ever walked into the church, the roof would cave in. You heard that? You know, there are people who think they're just so bad that God could never forgive them. What I'm talking about this morning takes that excuse away. <laughs> because Jesus knew how bad you are. He knew exactly everything you've done. He understood all of that. He knew it better than you know it yourself. And yet, he still chose to go to the cross and hang there for you. He took all the excuses away. We can't, we can't say, I can't follow Jesus because I can't forgive so-and-so. Yes, you can. Because Jesus forgave you. And you're bad. He took every excuse away, and I, and I just love it. We're moved, in the depths of our hearts, we're moved because we know it's grace, and we know we're unworthy of such a demonstration of love, and the cross is somehow transformed in its artifact 
that doesn't symbolize what the Romans intended for it to symbolize. It, It symbolizes God's amazing grace. And the cross becomes Jesus' statement of pure, unadulterated love and grace poured out for you and me. Regardless of what you've done in your life, Jesus went to the cross for you so you can be forgiven, so you can, so you can be redeemed, so you can live this life with him and be with him forever. That's good news. <laughs> you ever wonder why the gospel is called good news? Folks, that's good news. And I want... Pastor Greg at East Canton says this all the time. On the day that we stand before the Lord, I want that to be a very good day for you. And I'm saying that to you guys this morning. I want that to be a very good day for you. The day that we're all standing before Jesus, I want that to be the best day that you've ever experienced. But for that to be the best day that you've ever experienced, you have to accept this gift of grace, this gift of this untainted, unadulterated love and grace that that we're seeing as, as Jesus is hanging on the cross. We're seeing that and we're looking at that and we're thinking, he did that for me. I accept that. I love that. I want that. So here's the biggest question of your life. You think you've had big questions? (laughs) This is the biggest question of your life. Have you embraced the free gift of salvation that comes from the grace of God? That comes through Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. It's the biggest question of your life. For you to have the best day of your life when you stand before Jesus, you have to answer that question correctly. Amen. Amen. I want to invite the worship team to come forward and and be ready to play and and I want to pray for you. You know, as I asked that question, there's 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 only one way to respond and that's to say yes. Okay. But you can say yes in some different ways. You can say yes by coming down to these altars of prayer and saying yes at these altars. You can say yes by by making that decision in your heart and standing up and maybe raising your hand. You can say yes in a lot of different ways, but yes is the only correct answer. But if you do choose to not so publicly show that answer, at least if you make that choice today and you say yes to that salvation, Tell somebody. Tell somebody. We're not secret agents. Right? We're not secret agents. We sang about it in that song, Gratitude. We we said, you know, know, um, come on my soul. (laughs) Don't you get shy on me. See, if you've experienced this salvation, you don't want to be shy about it. Look what Jesus did for you. Don't be shy about it. So, so if you're making that decision this morning, you can come to these altars. Don't be shy. But if you make that decision standing, standing in your pew, still don't be shy about it. Tell people. Share it with others. And if you've already made that decision, then you just want to praise God, don't you? You just want to praise the Lord for what he's done. Praise God. Will you stand with me? Let's pray.
Lord God, as we, as we come before you at the end of this service, we, we're so excited, so thrilled in our heart, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Lord, the, uh, what we've said is that the, the climax of all time, the climax of all history and time happened when you died on that cross for our sins. You changed everything at that moment in time. And Lord, we see you in your perfection hanging there and dying in our place. And Lord, our hearts are moved. Our hearts are moved and, and we are convinced, Lord, of your love and your grace for us. We know, Lord, that you did that so that we could be forgiven of our sins and trust in you as our Savior and our Lord. And this morning, I just want to ask that if there's anyone here today or watching online that wants to make that decision for you, they, they want to embrace that salvation. They want to embrace that free gift. Lord, that they will do it with all their heart this morning. They'll come before you and uh, with a humble heart confessing their sin to you, asking, Lord, for your forgiveness, and asking, Lord, for you to come into their heart and life and be their Lord and Savior. They'll receive your redemption. They'll receive your great salvation. And they'll receive a new life, that new life that you give us, Lord, when you save our souls from sin. Lord, we want to thank you in advance for what you're doing in people's hearts right now. We also want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. Because, Lord, every time, every time we hear about the message of you, Jesus, and what you did for us and how you died on the cross for our sins, it makes our hearts rejoice in the love that you have for us. It makes us rejoice, Lord, for the grace that you've extended to us. It makes us rejoice that we are children of God followers of Jesus, covered by your blood, and understanding, Lord, that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and ready, ready for heaven. <laughs> and we're excited this morning to sing about that and to praise your name. Lord, if there's anyone here that's made a decision for you, may they have the boldness and not be shy, and they'll tell others, and they'll be glad to share it with people because of what you've done in their heart and life and how you've changed them through and through. And we'll give you all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.